welcome to this episode of InstaCast. It's been 50 years, but we're going back. Back for revenge. To take on a masked killer who killed one girl's entire friendship group. Wait. Where have we heard this before? As we look at 2022's Netflix original, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Try anything you cancel, bro. And welcome back, everyone. Uh, just before we get into this, just a very quick disclaimer. Essentially, this episode was initially recorded for YouTube as sort of like a quick YouTube review. But considering the film's just come out, and I'd have to deal with all the potential copyright issues and stuff by even showing a remote clip of the film, it's easier if I just put it onto here instead. Uh, it's not too long anyway. It's quite a quick one. Uh, so do let me know what you think about this. It's been an extremely controversial topic it seems uh within people who enjoy horror i guess within the horror community very very split on if people actually like this film or not you're about to see uh my opinions uh, at least from my initial reaction and of course i've not massively changed so much uh from this recording i will say one thing which is that the film is a lot of fun i'll give it that much and i guess um like people have been saying, there's only so much you can expect, especially with the complications that the film's had, the fact that it went straight to Netflix. I think the problem is it tried to bite off more than it could chew, and that's kind of what's left the sour taste in people's mouths. Uh, but do let me know what you think. Click into the episode uh, on Spotify, and you can rate it yourself out of five, as usual. Just lets me know how uh, the general consensus of people who listen uh, like the film as well. It's good insight. Obviously, check out the socials below, as usual. And I will see you all in uh, the next episode. There's not going to be like an official ending at the end of this. I'm basically putting it in now because everything you're going to hear is, is going to be the review. So I uh, do enjoy. Uh, sorry if there's any confusion. Obviously, I'm going to mention YouTube a couple of times. Just ignore that. Let's get into it. Hello YouTube, welcome to this video, which is going to be uh, a very quick final review of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, released today on the 18th of February, 2022. This is my second attempt recording this because I just don't feel fully satisfied with the first one and I feel like I can compose things together a little bit better now that I've had some time to sort of chew over it a little bit more. The first thing I'll say about this film is... Where is the rest of it? This is half a film. I really got worried when I saw that the runtime of this film, when I played on Netflix, was like an hour and 20 minutes. And then watching the film, the last eight minutes or so, like eight to 10 minutes, is credits. So this film is just over an hour long. That is absolutely terrifying. <laughs> As someone who's a fan of films, and, and horror films especially, to see a film that short scares me. And the reason why is because 
it really does make me think that there was no concise idea behind what was happening and that they just threw something together and threw it out. And that doesn't mean there's not good parts in this film uh, and there's not some things in that, right? There's plenty of gore, there's plenty of violence, plenty of blood, some really cool cinematography, uh, some pretty decent character moments as well. But when you hear about sort of like the kind of history of this film of how it's been kind of thrown around a little bit and not quite pieced together properly, it, it does kind of feel like it shows a little bit when you watch the film that there's stuff missing in this film. And the thing that's mostly missing is story and, and character development and plot and anything at all that ties us to the 1974 version in the slightest, because there's none of that there. And considering that this film is trying to emulate that of 2018's Halloween, the main thing that they missed was any continual plot points to kind of piece the gap in time. I'm going to leave this sort of section kind of spoilery free for just for a few minutes while I just talk about some general things. So if you haven't seen this film, uh, yeah, check it out. I mean, it's literally an hour of your day. I don't think it's an hour of wasted time, but I don't think I could say this is an absolute must-see. I think if you don't have anything else to watch and you've got an hour spare, chuck it on a Netflix. There's, there's no losing. And I think this is just kind of how this film was ended up, really, which is there's no downside to watching it because you don't lose out on any money for it. They give it to you for free. And when I did the trailer review, I said... um. You know, don't sleep on Netflix because essentially, one, you, you still get the value for the money because essentially it doesn't cost you anything extra. But second, like I said in the trailer review, is is that it's extremely accessible to people, right? It's a readily accessible platform and the content on there is pretty accessible. If it continues to get published on there, then, you know, they'll continue to get that recognition and they could do big things. Like, But um, outside of that, it's a pretty standard horror film, really, and it's it's actually a pretty standard Texas Chainsaw Massacre film. It doesn't try to do anything groundbreaking. It doesn't try to follow on a lot of the plot points from the original. A lot of the narratives, a lot of the themes that I talked about in the podcast episode, by the way, which you can check out. So that, so that in a way, is kind of disappointing. But for a bit of gore, a bit of blood, some interesting and fast chase sequences, and some pretty good pacing, for the most part. For an hour, I mean, it's good pacing, but like, it's an hour. Like, if you're struggling to pace a film in an hour, then, like, I'm really worried then. <laughs> so, yeah. Do let me know what you think about the film below. Obviously, I'm going to get into some more spoilery stuff now. So this is the last chance to go check it out if you haven't already. But let's get into some more juicy details. I'll talk about things that worked and things that didn't work. Okay, so let's talk about some spoilers. Let's talk about some nitty-gritty details about this film and the things that work and potentially don't work. Uh, so Alice uh, Craigie, I think, uh, who plays Mrs. Mick, according to IMDb, um, in the film she just gets referred to as the old woman, so I didn't really pick up on her name. Uh, she basically runs an orphanage. This is generally where Leatherface is. There's no context or background given of why Leatherface is there, what happened with the Sawyer family, 
I hope she just gives some kind of reference to she looks after all types of people, all types of backgrounds, all types of ages, just people who need uh, a second chance. And this kind of is a little bit interesting, kind of makes Leatherface uh, a little bit more sympathetic in a sense that he's someone that feels like he's been wrongdone by somehow uh, with his original family and that he needed to be taken care of in some way. Don't know if there was enough groundwork to be laid out for that in the original. I feel like he was very much equally complicit as much as the rest of the family. Although there was clear signs of like abuse, I guess. I don't know if that kind of translated enough to kind of justify that, but okay, this is just where he is now. Essentially, she dies because she gets wrongfully evicted, and this kind of spirals with her face to go on a killing rampage, specifically against Melody, who is the one who particularly upset her. And she was sort of the focus of the film, really, I guess. She was the victim. Surrounding characters around this, uh, the sheriff was decent, the deputy was alright. Uh, Ruth died quite early. It's quite a shame because she was in the trailer. I would like to see a bit more of her. I think she was kind of cool. Uh, Catherine was the woman with the umbrella who came with the tour bus. She was kind of like the guide. She was really cool. She gave some of the most uh, authentic and realistic reactions to what was going on. And I would have liked to have seen a bit more of her. But unfortunately, it wasn't the case. Uh, Richard was the uh, sort of mechanic guy played by uh, Moe Dunford. Uh, yeah, he was pretty good. I think he played a bit of a cliche uh, Texas person, you know, and he kind of made fun of this. Kind of weird commentary on this. Kind of a lot of criticism of Gen Z and a lot of modern uh, social issues like guns and climate change and stuff. And there's kind of actually a bit of a criticism and ridicule on these people for having these sort of concerns, which there's two kind of aspects of this. One is I get that for a lot of people, and potentially maybe this is a general statement in people of Texas, this might not be something that specifically concerns them as much as other people and therefore the film is like truly reflecting how people believe second if what the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre did was become a really good catalyst for um, creating narratives around massive social issues through horror and using horror as like a metaphor to either show humanity being punished for not taking certain things seriously or essentially things that are modern day horrors at the time, whatever decade it is, um, has like a killer that becomes like the embodiment of that horror, right? To drive up certain fear about certain things. So it could be babysitters, stranger danger, climate change, monsters, uh, nuclear fallout, uh, nuclear war, you know, Soviet tensions, war, all that type of stuff. It's all been done in horror to death. And this film kind of does a weird 180 on this where it kind of criticizes um, a lot of these things that originally I think a lot of horror films would have run away with it as a concept. Uh, so that kind of puts you in a bit of a weird place because then it kind of lacks um, reasoning for not only the film to exist, but like for a lot of the like narrative of Leatherface. Like, yeah, it's sort of revenge because this old woman died, but what more motivates him? In the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and I talked about in the podcast episode, which you should check out, uh, I talked about one of the comparisons of 
cannibalistic capitalism. And in this film, they made a slight one reference backhanded from Dante, played by uh, Jacob uh, Lattimore, who basically said, oh, this town's late stage capitalism, which is a concept this film could have run away with entirely, and it would have been more in tune with the original, which talked essentially about uh, a family that owned a slaughterhouse or slaughter business being put out of a job because of the advancements in slaughter. You know, slaughter is an industry that became automated, and there was a, a quarrel within the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre about sledgehammers versus air guns. You know, one is uh, a family tradition and would have took personal skill and a particular type of thought to not be bothered with that type of stuff. Uh, but Ergons was all about efficiency and increased productivity. And for local businesses, that's the type of thing that they're going to be struggling to compete with compared to bigger chains and corporate bodies. You know, uh, the hitchhiker was killed at the end by a truck, a slaughter carrier truck that carried animals. You know, there was some irony there, you know, being killed by the very business that they once had that's been essentially kind of relegated to a gas station for the most part. These are just my thoughts anyway. And this film didn't run with that. It was just a one hand it was just a one comment. Done. Never talk about it ever again. And what a greater way this film could have went if we had more commentary on this, because we could have given that as a reason for Leatherface to be here. If his family is no longer around, this could be a community where people go who have nothing left. And then instead the cast feel more like invaders and imposers on that. Was the commentary on this? No, they could have done. They mentioned some aspects of like, you know, the colonial parts of America, especially when we think about the Confederate flag and, you know, Confederacy and slavery, we could have made commentary on this. People coming in, imposing, taking land off people. Nothing. No deeper context, except from old woman dies, Leatherface gets angry. But the first film as well had a lot of strong family ties. Family was a really important part of it. You know, the reason why Sally went out there to begin with was because she thought her grandfather's grave was desecrated and dug up. And the Franklin house just happened to be close by, and it's where Franklin's family used to live. You know, some motivation of why these people are here. And then obviously the Sawyer family were all very close, because they were a tight-knit family, and they were all in on it together. There was no way that Sally could convince one of them to help her. She had to escape. But in this, the only family time you get is uh, Lila and Melody, and she's also played by Sarah Yarkin and Lise Fisher. And they didn't feel like family to me. They felt like two people who actually just really didn't like being around each other 90% of the time. And sometimes in horror, in films in general, they do this where they just paint siblings against each other just to have some form of tension between characters. And it becomes really cliche after a while. Sometimes siblings just get on with each other. And people in Hollywood just have to accept this and start incorporating this into stories, or it's otherwise, like, it just becomes the same old, same old. And when it came to the end of the film, you know, Melanie's death, the Leatherface, was very shocking. That was probably the most shocking part of the film to me. But the fact that Lila had to be bailed out as effectively the final girl, she had to be saved 
from a situation. Otherwise, she would have just accepted death. And that to me is just wrong. If she is the, let's say, the quote-unquote final girl of this film, because Sally wasn't the final girl, she got absolutely mutilated, which was a shame, because I quite enjoyed her character. She didn't do a lot in this film at all. I mean, she didn't have any screen time. Nobody did, really, except, you know, except Melody and Lila, for the most part, and Leatherface, to be fair. The fact that Lila had to be bailed out at the end is just a travesty to what the original film set up. You know, the original film was kind of criticised because it created a trope of Final Girl. And then there was a lot of criticism about cinema, about slasher, about if it kind of just encourages violence against women. Okay, this is another one of the main things about the original film. But one thing that the Final Girl did do and became quite an empowering thing you know, Laurie Strode, Jamie Lee Curtis talks about this all the time in Halloween, you know, through the film that's is trying to replicate in many ways, which is the final girl can be an empowering thing because it's a woman who overcomes like a, a male oppressor. And usually in Slasher, it's quite a sexual oppression. And because of that, you you root for her. Yeah. Think about like Last House on the Left, stuff like that, right? In this, nothing. And I thought as well, the thing that could have turned this on the head and the whole genre on the head is the fact that she survived a school shooting, which is interesting for a character that wasn't really utilised. But it could have been utilised as the perfect pre-experienced um, scenario of survival. So we have a final girl that already knows what it takes to survive in a scenario like this. And in Slasher, we've never really seen that before, except when we start talking about sequels, you know, and then in which case then the, the main girl gets a bit trigger-happy with guns and knives ready to kill someone. But I did like the ending, especially as the, uh, the car drives itself, and we kind of get a flashback from the original Sally sort of, you know, crying as the car moves away. But it's kind of like a sad version because Melody gets killed as opposed to Sally being happy that she escapes. So I kind of liked that. That was definitely some brownie points. And I would have liked to have, you know, I would have liked to feel like their escape was a bit more justified and not just, actually, it should have just been Melody that escaped because Lila just did not fulfill the role. She was, she kind of felt like she only survived because everyone else took the bullet for her. And I don't know if that just feels rewarding to watch. <laughs> but that's me. Some of the things that this film did do very well. Again, the pacing was pretty good. But again, there's not a lot of time to really mess up the pacing with. The special effects, incredible. This just justifies everything I said, like with the Chucky TV series and, and other things recently, which practical blood is just always better. And the CGI in this was super, super minimal. And it was essentially in the dark, so you couldn't even really see it. That's how it should be. CGI should enhance practical effects. It should never replace practical effects. Because when it starts to replace stuff, um, continuity just becomes a nightmare. Because you'll just never keep blood in the same place. Or someone's bleeding out, but there's no blood on the floor. And then the next scene, uh, maybe there is blood there, but it's in a completely different like place to the way that it was in the CGI. It just becomes chaos. In this, though, everything felt 
real and brutal. Leatherface felt brutal and imposing. Um, smashing people's legs in and the, the head crushing stuff. The chainsaw stuff was pretty good. I, I encourage the fact that they used a lot of rift chainsaw for a lot of scenes. I appreciate that. I know they kind of have to be careful with health and safety and stuff. Like it is like a real chainsaw. But the original film um, had a lot of live chainsaw. Most of its chase scenes, I think, looked like it had a live chainsaw running. Obviously, there was a, a good degree of distance. And the camera work in the original sold it. You had a lot of front-on camera angles, so Leatherface felt a lot closer because he's behind her. But actually, they were like significant distance away from each other. The tone of this film was pretty good as well. I didn't like a lot of the colouring. It was just a little bit too orange quite a lot of the time. I get it. It's kind of a desert scenario. It's very hot. Um, it was just a little bit too much orange. And I was kind of super grateful when we had the night scenes and everything was super dark. Just for a change of colour palette. Because otherwise it would just be one colour palette throughout the whole film. Not kind of fan of that. And then, of course, I guess the last final thing to talk about is the final scene. Uh, it has an end credit scene. I think it's, I think it's actually kind of hilariously weird and insulting that this film can justify an end credit scene when it only has an hour of footage. You know, it's kind of like, oh, you know what? We're going to tease you with a little bit more. So yeah, how you tease me with at least another half an hour more of content? That would be nice. Like films these days, like usually studios are fighting directors to cut stuff back, right? Because directors want to add more and more stuff in because they write this full story with all this context and backstory and all that kind of stuff. And studios are like, uh, you know, this is kind of encroaching on three hours. Maybe we should cut it back. You know, and only a few directors these days get away with making films at three hours. Two hours has become the new standard in film, pretty much. This has happened throughout history. You know, it was always pushed that little bit further. It was an hour and a half for like the last 10, 20 years. But in the last sort of, you know, five years or so, you know, the two to three hours has been kind of the norm for a lot of films, I think. Especially like big blockbusters. And for this to kind of like give you an end credit scene, it's just really weird. Uh, but obviously it was just Leatherface walking back to his house. The OG house. And I kind of liked that. It does kind of give you something to chew on when the credits finish. And having something to chew on is nice, but I didn't feel fulfilled by what I already had. I feel like I was missing some more substance and some more sustenance from this film. Uh, it was just a little bit thin on the bone, should we say. But yeah, aside from that, there's some really good scenes. Like the bus scene was incredible. Probably the highlight of the entire film. It needed it, because without it, this film would be boring. And I mean boring. You know, I don't want to spend an hour watching two siblings argue at every given opportunity. I will say one thing, though. I think Mark Benham did a very good job at Leatherface. Very imposing. I liked a lot of the creative stuff. Throwing chainsaws, throwing hammers. I'm all about it. I'm, I'm living the Leatherface fantasy in that moment. And there should be more of that if they ever make any more future films. I just want it to be longer. I mean, we've got, like, really creative uh, writers in this. Who did Evil Dead and Don't Breathe. This feels like half of that caliber. 
you know, and maybe it's just due to all the rewriting and stuff, but I was definitely wanting more, and maybe they should have just did this from the get-go. I mean, they have legendary pictures involved. I think what they did is at least made the film visually look good. I just don't know if there was enough plot substance there, and maybe it was just too late to make any of this work. Okay, so this is my sort of brief reaction and summary of the this film. Do let me know what you think in the comments below. Check out the links to the socials. Uh, check out the podcast. That's kind of where the substantial amount of this content is. Uh, maybe there'll be uh, a deeper review of this on the. I'm not quite sure yet. Depends how I feel. Uh, but for me, this film I think is just right down the middle. This is like a two and a half out of five. I think a half rating for half a film. That's what I feel like. I think that's fair. Everything we got was pretty nice, actually. I just wanted more. Unfortunately, this was uh, the starter without the main. Anyway, I'll see you all in the next video.